My name is Penny Dreadful. The air is tinged with the coldness of the grave as the dreadful truths of the unanswered come into the open, revealing at last the terror at Collinwood. Welcome to episode three of Terror at Collinwood. I am your hostess, Penny Dreadful, or perhaps her doppelganger, Danielle. I can't tell anymore. It just all blends together into, into one entity, perhaps. And I am joined today by a very special guest. Uh, she is a, a good friend of mine, uh, as is her sister. And uh, she is a writer. She's written for such publications as the UMass Dartmouth Torch, the Fall River Herald News. She was a frequent contributor to the website musicexistence.com and wrote music reviews on conducted interviews. She has written for Dart magazine. She has started her own zine. She released a, a zine recently called Turn On The Night Lonely One, and she has a new zine coming out this summer. Please welcome my friend, Rachel Freitas. Hello. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh gosh, like I was saying before we started recording, when I started this podcast, you were, you immediately came to mind <laughs> as a as a guest I had to have on the show because we've we've geeked out about uh, Dark Shadows before. And our yeah. friend, friends group were definitely two of the two of the big fans. Jed O'Berry yeah. is too, actually. He's a, he's yeah. a big fan. Yeah. So, you know, every so often we'll get together and, and geek out about it. And we got uh, our friend Aaron started to watch it too. That's I, right. Ivan is watching it. Our friend Ivan is watching it now too. So we're, we're infecting all of our friends group <laughs> with, with, with dark. It's the dream curse. We're, we're, it's like the dream yeah. curse in our friends group. So Rachel, uh, talk to us a little bit. Uh, first, I want to hear about your, uh, about your writing. Um, uh, and what your plans are for this upcoming zine you have. Yeah, so I do original homemade photocopied poetry zines. Um, they're all original poems. And um, I've made about four or five of them. And I just kind of, at first I was just giving them to my friends. And then they were like, you know, you should start selling these to us. So yeah, I, I put out about two a year. And it's just a really great way to harness my creative energy. Wonderful. Yeah. So these are these, uh, it's a poetry zine that you have coming out this, this yes. summer, right? Yeah. It's called Backburn Fireworks and Cigarette Storms. Awesome. And you're also going to be launching a blog this summer, I understand? Yes. Um, I studied in college um, pop culture journalism was my area of writing that I studied. And so I'm going to be putting out a a pop culture blog on WordPress that deals with relating pop culture with personal stories from my own life, so personal essays. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, I definitely look forward to that. And uh, once once that's launched, let me know and I'll, uh, I'll definitely uh, mention it in a future episode of the podcast. Great. So um, what is your history with Dark Shadows? I know uh, we've we've talked a lot about Dark Shadows before, but I'd love to hear your introduction to the show. Yeah, so my introduction was in the 90s, and I was in elementary school, and I had an aunt who lived upstairs for me at the time, and she had the whole MPI VHS collection in her bedroom. And, you know, Dark Shadows, I was thinking about this, was ahead of its time in the 1960s, but to have a complete soap opera with that many episodes on tape in the 90s, or even today, is 
kind of amazing. Yeah. And yeah. like that just doesn't exist. There's no all my children super collection or, you know, general hospital super collection. So, you know, she had the tapes and I she worked from home and I would sit in her bedroom and I would watch episode after episode. And like you, I didn't know it was a soap opera. Um uh-huh. <laughs> um I think because it was 20 minutes. Um, and I thought soap operas were always an hour, mm-hmm. but then because of the continuous supernatural plots, I thought, well, this isn't a soap opera. This is just a show that has a lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting because at the time my aunt watched days of our lives and they were doing a pretty famous possession storyline. And I remember looking at that and going, oh, that's a soap opera. But Port- mm-hmm. but um but Dark Shadows is just a show that has a lot of episodes. Like it, it seems so far removed from anything else I had seen. And so yeah, I had watched originally from Barnabas on with her collection, and then as I got older, I got the box set of DVDs, and I watched it from the beginning. And it was really really cool to get the whole full picture as an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, I think watching it from the beginning and it, it gives the viewer context for those characters. It establishes those characters before you get to Barnabas. And if you kind of put yourself in the headspace of a, of a, a viewer who watched from the beginning back in the '60s, I can only imagine how it must they right. must have reacted to seeing seeing you know Barnabas come on and Laura. Exactly. Of course, who yeah, who we're going to talk about later. But and I, I had a very similar experience in terms of like my my grandmother and my my mom used to watch all my children. So I would watch that with them sometimes. And I remember, you know, Erica Kane and, and stuff. And right. Sure. Yeah. I, and I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed sitting there watching. It reminded me, reminds me of them when somebody mentions all my children, but I never, ever connected Dark Shadows with a soap with a soap opera because it's it it evolved into this well, gothic horror type fan dark fantasy weird show I guess more akin to the to the Penny Dreadfuls actually of the 19th century the sort of serialized tales you know like Varney the Vampire and things like this uh, in in the uh, soap opera world it's certainly celebrated but it's also very celebrated in the in the horror world and in the yeah. sort of uh, genre world so it's interesting and like you said there you know the fact that it was released on on tape I, I used to buy those mpi tapes and i just it was just took up so much space in my bedroom yeah. I, it's just like so many tapes you know uh which was awesome um now you are you're also a fan now you mentioned some of these soap operas you're also a big fan of port charles uh, as as you've told me before so talk about yeah. port charles what is what is it about port Char- no dark shadows had some influence on port charles would you say or or yes i would okay. definitely say i would say they're two very different shows but their trajectories were kind of the same um port charles was on the air from 1997 to 2003 and it was a spin-off of general hospital it started off as like a regular soap opera and at the time there was about nine or ten soap operas on the air and like dark shadows they were struggling in the ratings So in December 2000, they adopted what they called an arc or a book format. And every book, the book would change every 13 weeks. You'd get a new central plot and it would be titled something. It had a theme song. And the first two arcs, the first one dealt with soulmates and past lives. And the second one dealt more into the supernatural with time travel. 
And so the little by little, we were getting further away from what the original show was. And then in June of 2001, it's actually the 20th anniversary this year of Tainted Glove when they brought on Michael Easton to play a vampire named Caleb Morley and his twin brother, who was a priest. Wow. Which okay. is so Sophie. Yeah, no, and, I, and I, I know Caleb. I've seen cl- I've seen clips of Caleb, you know, biting, you know, someone and, and stuff. So yeah, I'm. And they, yeah. they did the whole, um, you know, Dracula, Barnabas, Maggie, Josette thing where Caleb was infatuated with one of the young characters on the show who resembled his lost love and uh like Barnabas he was only supposed to be on for like a few weeks and they were supposed to be done with them and fans just loved him so much that they extended his stay on the show for another three months and then they brought him back later on in the series as a permanent main character and sort of like dark shadows they dealt with other supernatural plots there were angels there were supernatural candles and paintings that came to life and sort of the monkey's paw with a ring that granted wishes and it was it was very revolutionary at that time this was like you know pre pre-twilight you know vampires weren't all the rage in 2001 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so they were very ahead of its time and you know they didn't they never got that craze that dark shadows got but they they got a lot of acceptance in the in the soap opera community and they were they were nominated for an outstanding daytime drama and many acting um nominations and so i really feel that that Dark Shadows had some influence on the trajectory of where Port Charles went. And it Dark Shadows and Port Charles are my two favorite shows. So Oh, fantastic. Wonderful. Well, yeah, it definitely sounds uh the parallels are are definitely striking there. And I know yeah. uh, you know, uh, a lot of I talk on the show about how Dark Shadows was an important had as has an important place in horror history and influence in 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 horror. And it definitely the I think those soap operas like like Port Charles and also Passions, I believe, yes, Passions. also had a lot of it was a little more I think tongue in cheek at times from what yeah, I understand. Yeah, I think Passions was a lot like more comic than Port Charles was. Port Charles took itself seriously, but they didn't take themselves too seriously. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I never really watched. The only now, are you familiar with uh, Strange Paradise? Have you have you watched? No, that? I'm not. Oh, okay, okay. So when Dark Shadows was on the air in uh, 1969, 1970, a Canadian version of Dark Shadows came out called. Uh, strange paradise it was they saw the success of dark shadows so they tried to sort of replicate it uh with this canadian show it lasted two seasons it was called uh, strange paradise a couple of people from dark shadows actually jumped ship to go work on that show oh wow yeah they eventually did i I think it might have been after they left dark shadows and then there was a little gap and they went and worked on on strange paradise it was robert costello uh ron sprout on the writer a couple of dark shadows alums went to go work on strange It's it's a it's an interesting show it's not nearly as good as dark shadows but it's weird you know it's uh yeah with uh you know this uh you know guy trying to bring his wife back from the dead 
Uh, and he has, uh, there's Raxel, who is this, you know, woman who lives in the house who knows mystical sort of knowledge that he has. And he has a, a servant as well. I've, wa- I've watched several episodes. I've never watched the entire run of it. Uh, and then, of course, he has an evil ancestor who's painting hands <laughs> on the wall and resembles him. And then the ancestor takes possession of, of him. It was played by Colin Fox, the, the lead character. Uh, it's worth a look. There, I think it, a lot of it is on YouTube. So, yeah, you might. Oh, I am definitely going to have to look that up this summer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. It's uh, it's worth a look. Um, now, you recently, speaking of YouTube, you recently watched the 2004 Dark Shadows pilot. <laughs> yeah. The unaired uh, WB 2004 uh, Dark Shadows pilot. For those who may not know, they've tried to revive Dark Shadows a few times. The 1991 series, which lasted uh, 12 episodes with Ben Cross and Barbara Steele, which I was actually thrilled that Barbara Steele was cast as <laughs> Julia Hoffman, because I always thought it would be cool if like a horror star ended up on on dark shadows and there she yeah. was you know uh and then we had uh 2000 the 2004 uh pilot that didn't get picked up and we can go into the reasons for that uh <laughs> as we talk here but and then there's the uh there was something in 2012 i always forget what that thing was in 2012 <laughs> like i have this block every time it comes up when i talk what about it, it? I, I just can't i honestly can't remember what it was Oh, well. Um, <laughs> so um, what are your so what are your what did you think when you watched this, the 2004 pilot? Well, now, maybe you have answers to this, but was the color corrected <laughs> because it was giving me Suspiria vibe? That's totally what. Yeah. What was going on? And there. I was like, is this being like because it's not an official like recording like it, you know is something messed up when it got uploaded to youtube i'm like but it looks pretty intentional it was intentional yeah uh it was so this thing started out uh as a um dan curtis for years was trying to bring back dark shadows after the 91 series after what happened with the 91 series he tried a variety of ways to bring back dark shadows including a remake of house of dark shadows a, a nighttime weekly primetime series a fox daytime another attempt at a daily serial on fox a uh animated cartoon for adults oh, wow. on hbo yeah there were lots of different a uh, musical a broadway musical and the the one that that actually wound up going forward was the the WB one. And at the time, of course, the WB, which kind of is a predecessor to the CW today, the WB had was like young. It, Buffy is really what made Buffy the Vampire yeah. Slayer. He kind of made the WB and they saw, okay, well, we have young, hot people and <laughs> some fantasy supernatural stuff and people like that, that Smallville, things like that. So when Dan Curtis brought this to the WB, there was, there, there, it, it was a train wreck waiting to happen because Dan Curtis wanted to do Dark Shadows like old school. He wanted to do Fog and this epic, you know, dark romance, gothic horror. And the WB wanted their formula that worked for them for their shows. They wanted like young hot actors and they wanted more more sexy, more comedy, more a little more humor and a little, little bit of moments of lightheartedness and action and things like this. And then the original director they had on the show who had directed a couple episodes of the 91 series and had also worked on the X-Files, uh, that director jumped ship very early on uh, to go do do something. I think it was a, a Marvel movie. I think it was a superhero movie. Uh, Electra. It was Electra. And so uh, they brought in another director, PJ Hogan. And PJ Hogan 
knew nothing about dark shadows. He came in and he didn't know anything. Like he thought, um, he thought, <laughs> he thought Angelique was a vampire. He was, he <laughs> Car Carolyn was a vampire. He didn't know who anything, he thought the ring and the cane were stupid. The Barnabas cane, he thought it yeah, was Yeah, he didn't have one. Yeah, he didn't want him to have the cane. I think he, he relented on the ring because you see the yeah, ring for like a yeah. second, but, um, and he wanted, he wanted to do our Dario Argento and he lit the entire, he lit the entire thing like Suspiria, like from start to finish, yeah. like everything was bathed in this red light. And, I, you know, I, I like Suspiria, the movie Suspiria. Dario Argento was, you know, was great for Suspiria. That worked for, for that movie. But for like every scene in this 2004 <laughs> pilot, it was like bathed in this red light. And from what I understand, there were, Dan Curtis then stepped away from the entire thing because he was furious that they because they were they kept pushing back and wanting to do things there with WB was pushing, pulling one way. Dan Curtis was pulling another way. And PJ Hogan was doing whatever the heck he was phoning it in basically, <laughs> I think, you know, so there was, there was a lot of tension that happened there and the end product wound up being an, un <laughs> an uneven uh, sort of production uh, and uh, uh, WB passed on. They didn't like it. WB didn't, did not like the finished product. Now I like Alec Newman as an actor. I think he's awesome. And in fact, he plays the adult version of David Collins in the big Finnish, Finnish audio. Oh, wow. Plays. Yeah. And he's, he's really good as David. And I think he's just, he's a great actor. And I actually, I think he was pretty good as Barnabas, but I almost felt like he was miscast. It's sort of like how, it, like bringing up Johnny Depp, like jo I think jo <laughs> Johnny Depp would actually make a better Quentin than a Barnabas. And I sort of feel yeah. that way about Alec Newman too. I'm like, I think Alec Newman would be better as sort of this dashing rogue who's like, you know, doing, yeah. you know, versus Barnabas, who I always picture as somebody who's very, has a really strong presence, is kind of, has a, a bit of an edge, to, a sinister edge to him. Jonathan Fritt is so, uh, he has that that gravitas to him. Yeah. And and, um, and there's something, uh, there should be something a bit, a little bit cadaverous about Barnabas. I think it's this hint of something other yeah. wor otherworldly. And while I love Alec Newman as an actor, I almost felt like, yeah, yeah you know, I, I, I liked it. I liked it for what it was, but it, it didn't feel much like Dark Shadows. Exactly. Yeah. It yeah. felt like I was watching a movie sort of, mm -hmm. and I was appreciative of the movie. I felt like it was trying a little bit too hard um, with certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, but it didn't it didn't feel like Dark Shadows, but I still would have watched it if it had gotten picked up. Oh, totally. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I would have watched it. Absolutely. You, you know, but uh, I don't know if I would have like bought the DVDs or whatever, you know, but I would right. have watched it. Magoo and I went to a, a Dark Shadows festival. Uh, I've been a couple of times to the Dark Shadows festivals and I wish they'd bring them back because they, they were really cool. Uh, but I went to the, one of the festivals, I think it was in 2006, and they showed the pilot at the festival. And at the time, this was not available anywhere online. This was maybe like a couple of years after this pilot didn't get picked up by the WB and nobody had really seen it. They started showing it at the festivals. And the original ending is different from what they showed on YouTube. The original ending was ridiculous for the, for the pilot <laughs> because um, Vicky uh, hits Angelique with her car and Angelique crashes through the, the windshield. And then Vicky 
Angelique looks up and uh, Vicky screams. Angelique screams back at Vicky. Vicky screams back at Angelique. Angelique screams back. It kept cutting back and forth. It was like a comedy routine. I'm like, well, what is <laughs> they're trying to out scream each other here? Like it was just really silly. So I guess the the version that's on YouTube, somebody must have gone in and edited that ending to make it less ridiculous. Was not a little as, bit less ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, a little a little less ridiculous. Still still ridiculous, but less ridiculous than what it was. Uh, but yeah, that that was uh, that was kind of crazy. I think the other thing too, is they tried to introduce so many characters into just the pilot. And I think uh, when Eric was on here last time, we were talking about how it would probably be a good idea to just spend a few episodes introducing these characters and establishing them out. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Because they kept throwing more and more and more characters into the, into the show. And I I think it would have been, yeah, it definitely would have been a good idea because it's like Julia barely, you know, you see Julia a couple of times and that's, that's it. And there's some, it's like interesting to see some of the actors that were in that too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, Jessica Chastain. (laughs) Yeah. Like what? (laughs) And, um, But anyway, yeah. So like you said, I think it would be something that would be kind of like, oh, if this was just like a horror movie on its own, maybe, but it didn't definitely didn't have the Dark Shadows feel. I'll take it over the depth movie, though. I will say that. Yes, I will. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, speaking of establishing the characters first before getting to Barnabas, let's talk about uh, Laura. Actually, there's one thing I want to do. Before we dive into the Dark Shadows discussion we're going to have today, I want to just uh, say uh, uh, an email went out today uh, from Hermes Press, uh, from publisher Dan Herman, and some new volumes of the Dark Shadows paperback novels are are being reprinted. The Hermes Press has been uh, re-releasing the Dan uh, Marilyn Ross novels. Uh, Mr. Herman just posted a video uh, where he's showing off uh, the new books that they're releasing. So that's really exciting. If you if you like the Ross novels, then uh, you should definitely check them out. Um, you can find them at hermes-press.myshopify.com. And Hermes Press has been publishing all kinds of great stuff. Um, they reprinted all of the uh, Dark Shadows Gold Key comics from the uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, and um, I have all of those and they're really beautiful books. And they've also published the a collection of the newspaper strips, including the color Sundays. So definitely check them out because they're putting out some cool stuff. All right. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, all right. So uh, today, what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be continuing the pre-Barnabas episodes. It's sort of the second major storyline that's introduced uh, during the pre-Barnabas period of the show. And that storyline, of course, is the Laura Collins, Laura the Phoenix storyline. Now, uh, I should warn uh, folks here that uh, we are going to be, (laughs) this podcast is all all about spoilers. And I think there should be a moratorium on spoilers after, I don't know, what's the cut, what would you say the cutoff should be, Rachel, for spoilers? Like, (gasps) 20 years, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I think like 10 years. Maybe. 10 years. Yeah. 10 years is good. I mean, I think that's more than 10 years is more than enough time. If you haven't watched it after 10 years, you know, it's like, okay, uh, well, uh, you know, of course, Dark Shadows, you know, these episodes technically were not available in syndication. Uh, and so they, uh, the Sci- Sci-Fi Channel and MPI put them out. So, so that was in the nineties. So it's been, it's definitely been over 10 years since (laughs) these have been available. So spoilers, if you haven't seen these episodes. So 
we're going to talk about the Laura storyline. And also we're going to get a little bit into the Jason McGuire blackmail storyline if we have time at the end here. We're still dealing with the Burke Devlin plot uh, where Burke is, uh, you know, uh, wants his revenge on Roger Collins for the for the car accident, which Laura was involved in. She was in the car as well. And then we also had uh, Vicky still trying to find out about her past here uh, and uh, trying to trying to discover her past. And these the, the Vicky storyline sort of gets dropped by the time we get to Barnabas and the Burke storyline is resolved rather quickly. But during this time, we also have the primary storyline that comes into play, which is uh, Laura, the Phoenix. Now, originally, the idea behind this character was Laura is, da is David's mother and Roger's wife. And the original plan for Laura was that she had spent time in an, an institution in Augusta and then went to live in Phoenix. And then she was going to come back into town. She was going to want uh, custody of David. Uh, when she came back, she was going to end up getting murdered at some point. And Vicky was going to be blamed for the murder and put on trial, which is interesting because Vicky does later get put on trial for a very, very, <laughs> yeah. very different reason. But, um, but as the show had already started shifting into the supernatural with uh, the ghosts of Josette and Bill Malloy. We were already going into, into that neck of the woods. So to get the rating, Dan Curtis noticed every time they brought a ghost onto the show, uh, brought the supernatural and the ratings started to go up. Uh, so he wanted to, to go all the way with it. And his, his kids, his daughters said, daddy, make it scary, make it really scary. You know? Mm -hmm. So he, uh, later on, of course, he's going to go all the way with the vampire, but prior to that, this is she, Laura Collins, the Laura Collins story was almost in a way was a prelude to Barnabas because she's the series first supernatural villain. She's the first supernatural antagonist we get in the show. And so Malcolm Mormerstein, the writer, one of the writers on the show, noticed that she's supposed to be from Phoenix. And he said, well, why don't we make her a Phoenix? And I, I think know. they all said, well, what's a Phoenix? You know, uh, <laughs> so he explained to them, you know, that it's a mythological bird that burns up, sets itself on fire and is reborn in the in, in its own from its own ashes. Uh, and this is an, an uh, we can if we look at the history of the, uh, I'm just reading from Wikipedia here, the phoenix is a long-lived bird associated with Greek mythology that cyclically regenerates or is otherwise born again. Associated with the sun, a phoenix obtains new life by arising from the ashes of its predecessor. The origin of the phoenix has been attributed to ancient Egypt by Herodotus and later 19th century scholars, but other scholars think the Egyptian texts may have been influenced by classical folklore. So, and of course, we will get the Egyptian connection when we see Laura again uh, in 1897, when we see an earlier yeah. incarnation of, of Laura Collins. So what are your thoughts on Laura, the Laura storyline and the Laura character, Rachel? So I think it's so interesting that, you know, our first our first supernatural big storyline after Ghost is a phoenix, because I think a lot of people probably were not familiar with what a phoenix was. Mm -hmm. um, there, you know, they could have gone the zombie route or, or something like that, that's a little bit more mainstream. And they decided on a phoenix. And I thought that was kind of really original. I know that a lot of the Dark Shadows plot borrowed from classic horror but i you know i wasn't sure if there was a classic horror equivalent to the phoenix mm -hmm. um the the closest thing that i'm aware of 
I mean, like you said, this is this is a really fascinating and unique and really weird idea to take a phoenix and sort of create a transform the bird like phoenix and reimagine it as a, as a sort of right. a person. Um, the closest thing I I'm aware of. Uh, is a story, it's a novel called She, uh, and uh, She, A History of Adventure. It's written by uh, H. Ryder, uh, Ryder Haggard, and um, was published in the 19th century. And there's a character in that called Aisha. And they they actually made a Hammer Films version of it. They've, they've adapted it to film quite a few times. There's a Hammer version, and it has Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing in it. And she's was born over two thousand years ago, and she mastered the, the the lore of the ancients and became this great sorceress. And she learned about this thing called the Pillar of Life in, in Africa. So she journeys to this kingdom, and she she finds this keeper of the flame that grants immort immortality, and she bathes herself in this pillar of life's fire and so she's becomes immortal because she she bathed in this fire and finds this uh this pillar of life so it's a bit it's not ex it's definitely not exactly right the same it's but it i can see some fans have expressed the possibility that 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 there was some influence there i question whether that was any kind of direct influence. I mean, it's possible that Malcolm Mormerstein, I, I think it actually sounds more like what we see in 1897 with the urn, with the flame in it and stuff. Although, yeah. And, yeah. Although in 1967, the flames is still a thing that's connected with her life force with the fireplace instead of in, in 1967, it exists in the fireplace because she definitely doesn't want anybody to putting out that fire. Remember she yells <laughs> at Mrs. Johnson for, for almost putting out the fire. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you have this immortal character, this immortal queen who's, you know, bathed in fire and, and is long lived. But um, that's the closest equivalent I've ever seen in sort of any kind of literature, you know? Yeah, I think Laura's presence made David a more sympathetic and more slightly likable character than what we had previously seen him as, um, mm -hmm. which I think always putting a character, especially a child in danger, will make you protective of that character mm -hmm. and want doesn't want to see anything terrible happen to them. And, you know, we couldn't we couldn't have the version of David in the beginning exist for that much longer. You couldn't just have the annoying child be around forever. Um, mm -hmm. You had to flesh him out a little bit, make him make him a character worth rooting for in a sense. I think it's also interesting that you in in making Laura a central character, you've made David an, an even more central character. And I, I I wonder about you know the pressure that David Hennessy must have been under, you know, to carry these storylines in a sense and, and and doing it live all the time. And yeah, you know, they they really put him and said, you know, this this is your storyline. This is your big shot, pretty much. Yeah, and David becomes. I mean, he is a central part of of many of the the sort of the supernatural right. storylines. He's he's placed in, a, in right with Quentin. With Quentin, yeah, definitely, he's placed in danger quite quite a bit. And then later on with uh, Gerard and and Daphne too. But with with Laura, it's the way they did that. Um, the the way Diana Malay, who played Laura, you know, came in and she's had this sort of 
otherworldly, strange quality about her. But she also, like a mother towards David, she was she was seemed warm towards him, but she wanted to destroy him. She wanted to take him into the whatever the underworld, wherever yeah, the domain of Ra or where wherever she goes when she burns up in the flames. Her prime directive, you know, her her instinct is to burn her child in the flames with yeah. her. And it's certainly helped to make David a more sympathetic character. David was, was a psychopath prior to, I mean, he really, he tried to kill his father. <laughs> he, yeah. he almost killed Vicky, locked her and and just abandoned her basically, you know, locked her off in somewhere in Collinwood. And then even when Matthew Morgan was holding her hostage, he like saw her there and he didn't tell anybody for a while. You know, he was really struggling with, with whether he should or not, because he, you know, he had befriended Matthew Morgan. So uh, David, you know, uh, Eric made an interesting point in the last episode that when Laura goes up in flames, that's whatever part of David maybe was, maybe David was part Phoenix, you know, maybe that part of him burned up in the flames. Because I've seen, I swear there was a fanfic novel or something at some point about that very subject. And if somebody remembers that, please uh, email me at terror at Collinwood at gmail.com. Because I remember there was some fanfic where David inherited the, the powers of the Phoenix. Like he started to become oh, wow. a phoenix which is really interesting um um because the the thing with Laura with with this character is they establish in this 1967 storyline that there are previous incarnations of Laura that, that they they say initially that it's every 100 years but we find out later that there were actually more than that more Lauras than that that, that were in between so um there was uh Laura Murdoch Stockbridge who was the first version of Laura uh, from um, was born in 1735 and died in 1767. So that first Laura, the, the idea behind these Lauras is like, there's sort of a, a human incarnation of Laura who seems from, from what we've heard, the little we hear about when Laura's in her human state, that she's a troubled person. She's, she's a lot of drinking and infidelity and mental illness. And she's, she's locked up actually in a, in in an institution for quite a while Uh, that they, they kept that part. They actually kept that part of it from the story Bible that she was institutionalized. And then, but then at some point, this human version of Laura dies in a fire. She dies in a fire and the Phoenix is, is reborn. She's kind of reborn as this creature right and her impulse her instinct is to find her she has children when she's in human form and then she comes back and claims them and takes them into the flames with her and we know of at least one instance where she's successful which is laura murdoch radcliffe who has a son uh david radcliffe who's also named david she she took him into the flames because they have a seance at one point and and he speaks through through the modern day david but then we find out during the 1897 storyline that Laura also existed. In between those two Lauras, there was another Laura <laughs> who, who married Jeremiah, a very young Jeremiah must have been, because uh, Barnabas was a kid and Barnabas and Jeremiah are about close to the same age. I'm guessing Jeremiah yeah. was maybe a few years older. So but that was a sh- very short-lived marriage, but Barnabas remembers her. Uh, she, then she comes back in 1897 and she marries Edward and they, they have children together, Nora and Jameson, and she dies in a fire in Egypt when she runs off with Quentin and then she comes back same thing to claim Jameson and Nora in the flames. Yeah. Uh, 
which if you think about it, really uh, adds a lot of depth to Roger's blooper when he says our ancestors are buried. Yes. Because, yes, our ancestors. Yeah, because technically Roger married his own grandmother, uh, which is really <laughs> messed up. <laughs> it's really gross. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess unless you think of, you know, the the every time Laura is reborn, she's a new person, but she seems to maintain, you know, she has her memories of the past, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, so, she's one of she's one of the few characters that it, it makes sense for her to keep reappearing as the same mm-hmm. character throughout time. Absolutely, definitely, and in and in fact, Diana, Diana Malay only wanted to play Laura whenever you know they wanted to bring her back onto the show. She only wanted to play Laura Collins, which it totally makes sense for that character. Like you said, I mean, it's she's reborn in in the flames and comes back. Um, so when the human Laura dies. Eventually, the body disappears, the original body vanishes after a period of time, and this other supernatural Laura comes to take her child into the flames and burn up and start the cycle all over again. So it's a really crazy idea. And there's a there's a, a YouTuber, uh, Bobby of Dusty Old Movies, he has a web series, which is, is really fun. And he, he actually covers all the storylines of the show. And he, he says, while the later storylines are often evocative of universal horror, films the laura storyline kind of feels like a val luton movie have you ever watched the val any of val i know you're a horror fan mm-hmm. too have no you, i haven't oh they, they're wonderful uh like cat the cat people um the body snatcher i walked with a zombie there's so many i'll have to let you borrow some uh I let, <laughs> yeah definitely check it out it's, they're very weird and ethereal and more more psychological than outright horror they're definitely eerie so like you said david sort of becomes a better person i think after this incident <laughs> So does Roger, actually, you know, uh, we finally show, see Roger show some compassion for David, too, like his son. Yeah, you feel, you, you, yeah, you feel for David because his two parents are Roger and Laura. And yeah, <laughs> one, one doesn't care about him too much. And the other one wants him a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, Laura implies uh, there. Laura implies that Burke might be David's father. Do you do you believe that or do you think it's Roger? No, I I think it's Roger. It just, it just has to be in my mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I kind of agree. I just feel like he, he just, it feels like Roger's kid to me, but I think Burke and David have a stronger bond than David and Roger. Yeah. But uh, they like each other a lot more. Eric believed when he was on here that, uh, which was an interesting theory too, that Burke is secretly a Collins, which that would be interesting. Like he'd find out that he's a, he's a Collins at some point. Although that, if Vicky's yeah. a, Collins, then that's, you know, weird too. <laughs> <laughs> the ancestors again. Yes. It's like, again, yeah. See, it's like, it was a prophetic line from Louis yeah. Edmonds there. It just ended up. Um, so, okay. So we have Laura who's played by Diana Malay and she was, she was, she had such an eccentric otherworldly quality about her. I think uh, when she, she had played th- uh, that character as the legend goes, according to Diana Malay, she was going to come. If the series had continued, the, they had talked to her about coming back yet again as Laura. So I don't know when that would have fit in, but that would have been hmm. really, really interesting. Um, yeah. We also have a few other characters who are introduced during this storyline. Um, Dr. Peter Guthrie, the parapsychologist who comes in to investigate the happenings here at Collinwood, because of course, Elizabeth 
realizes that Laura is a problem and she kn- she knows Laura wants to take David away and Elizabeth stands in her way. Elizabeth says, you're, you're not, you have to get out of here. You have to leave. You're not taking him with you. And so Laura uses her powers to put Elizabeth into a trance, into this coma. Yeah. Uh, so she's she's out of the picture for a while. She's in the hospital. Like Elizabeth hasn't left Collinwood for 18 years. And this is like the first time she's actually left Collinwood was to go to the hospital because she's she's right. placed into this coma. Uh, and she puts Carolyn in charge of the uh, of the Collins estate. Uh, much to Roger's chagrin, uh, Carolyn is, is put in charge of the Collins estate. So while Elizabeth is in this coma, of course, we uh, you know, Dr. Guthrie gets involved in this and starts to suspect the supernatural is a place. So what do you think about Dr. Guthrie played by John Lasso? Lasso, Lassell. I, I think, you know, this is, this is the, you know, the precursor to Julia Hoffman coming in, you know, mm-hmm. yep. this mm-hmm. is, you know, the doctor who's starting to suspect some things up. And I think it, is it the first time that an outsider has thought that something's strange about this family, something's not quite right? I think the townspeople all kind of suspect there are strange things happening up there, but he's the first person right. to take the bull by the horns and do, try to right. do something about it. Yeah. Right. He's in a position of power where the townspeople are not. And they kind mm-hmm. of, you know, they've got the Collins legends and Elizabeth staying in the house for that long. Um, you know, there's bound to be rumors that are about her. But yeah, I thought this was the first time where it, you know, there could be consequences for mm-hmm. something. There could be consequences for there being a phoenix in town. You know, the secrets just keep coming out with the Collinses. And yeah, Dr. Guthrie, he was on to something. Yeah, absolutely. He really was. I really liked that character. Uh, he he was smart. He just, he kind of was figuring out what was happening and started to put, and he confronts Laura, invites her to, to the seance uh, and makes a reference to The Uninvited, which is a film which I think also influenced Dark Shadows. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. Have you seen that one? It's really Yeah, cool. it's a great yeah. film. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so they have the seance and he even has the tape recorder and you hear the sound of flames on the tape and he starts to, to figure things out. They get uh, Joe and another new character who's introduced to uh, Frank, uh, Frank Garner, son of Richard Garner, the Collins family attorneys. And so they start, you know, opening up graves uh, in the Collins family cemetery uh, to find yeah. out what's going on. And they we start to see a lot of firsts on Dark Shadows with, you know, disinterments and uh, seances and things that sort of become staples of the Dark Shadows mythos in the, during this storyline. And uh, we meet the caretaker, who is another great... <laughs> You know, a short-lived character, but I love the caretaker. <laughs> uh, he gives me a chuckle every single time. Yes, yes. I guess, you know, if you work in the Eagle Hill Cemetery for as long <laughs> as he has, you probably would probably happen to anyone, I think, would become like that. And he was played by uh, Daniel Keyes and then later was on, was replaced by Peter Murphy, who then went on to be the lead singer of Bauhaus. No, it's not not, not the same Peter Murphy. It's a different, different Peter Murphy. Uh, but yeah, he's so he's uh, he's the keeper of the records, I guess, at the, the Collins family cemetery. And uh, so they disinter these graves and they're they're empty. So uh, this is kind of interesting, too, because with Dr. Guthrie, 
three kind of leading the charge and Vicky, you know, Josette is helping them too. Josette is trying to point right. them in the right direction. The ghost of Josette pushing them in this, in this direction with Sam too. She's having Sam, you know, Sam starts coming fixated on painting this painting of Laura in the flames. And then Josette paints David into the flames, you know, so we see, we see him in there. So what did you think of Frank Garner? So we have this new character, Frank Garner, who comes in as sort of, uh, he starts dating Vicky. What yeah. Mm-hmm. Vicky had a lot of love interests in, yeah. in a pretty short span of time. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Burke and then Barnabas and, you know, she, she, was, a, <laughs> she was a commodity. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and she, and then she ended up with, with Peter Bradford. Of, that's right. The, so. I, I think, you know, it's interesting if, if I was watching it for the first time and didn't know what was to come ahead, I might've thought, oh, this could be a relationship that, that could go somewhere. But of course, knowing what you know when you've watched it multiple times, you're like, well, that isn't going to happen. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's not going to last. You know, he's not going to be around that long. And mm-hmm. um, he's not in that many episodes if I'm remembering correctly no he, he isn't in there for too long they set up the situation uh with frank garner and victoria dating and then it doesn't doesn't really go anywhere i i yeah. it just you know he was sort of a short-lived uh character but they he did kind of help him and joe kind of helped out with looking into what was going on here and trying to figure out what was what was happening here with, yeah you uh, needed him to move the story along there's one character actually I'd I'd really like to touch on too, if you don't mind. I sure. missed her last time. She was introduced in the prior storyline, but she sticks around for every storyline that's set in the present day. She is there. She's even if it's just one episode here and there, she shows up and uh, and she has some some sub- substantial uh, scenes on the show. And that's of course Mrs. Sarah Johnson, uh, the housekeeper, played by Clarice Blackburn, who was sensational, uh, really great actress, uh, and just really solid at playing. She was great at playing these like you almost like, especially with Abigail, like you love to hate <laughs> kind of characters. And Mrs. Johnson at first when she first came on to the show, she was not a very pleasant person. You know, she was uh, Bill Malloy's uh, housekeeper and kind of had, you know, strong feelings for Bill Malloy and ends up being sort of a, an, an agent for, for Burke Devlin. He yeah. Yeah, puts her in, hires her to, to sort of relay information. Uh, she, you know, sets it up so she gets hired as the housekeeper at Collinwood and she starts out sort of in that role, but she grows to love the Collins family and, and becomes sort of a devoted sort of member of the of the household. Uh, and in fact, during the Quentin Quentin's ghost storyline, she kind of takes on the Mrs. Gross role and turn of the screw as the as the housekeeper and you know who knows what the governess with Maggie kind of knows what's going on with these ghosts. But Mrs. Johnson, what what are your thoughts on Mrs. Johnson as a character? I love Mrs. Johnson. She's, <laughs> she's such a a spitfire of a character. And she injects such enthusiasm into the show. Like you said, Clarice Blackburn is an amazing actress and I think she really elevated the show. And I think something that could have been seen as a very small, insignificant housekeeper character got turned into something that was really well done and really well played and can, like you said, continued throughout the series. And I, I, I believe she's even shown when they flash forward to 95 
Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. She plays the, the older, the old Mrs. Johnson and yeah. Yeah. Who's seen many <laughs> horrible things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The secrets she knows, but she's not allowed to say. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think she's, uh, she is a really great character uh, and is, is often over, overlooked. And I, I just somehow I didn't put her on my, uh, on my list of characters I want to talk about, but I certainly love Mrs. Johnson. Somebody in the YouTube comments was said, I'm disappointed you didn't mention Mrs. Johnson. So we definitely, we love Mrs. Johnson here at Terror at Colony. Yeah. In fact, sure. I was so, I was so sad the first time I watched House of Dark Shadows and it's not Clarice Blackburn. And yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> it's Barbara Kason, who was married to Dennis Patrick. who Oh, wow. A, Who's in, also in, yeah. Yes. And he plays Sheriff Patterson in House of Dark Shadows. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she, I don't know why, uh, maybe I, maybe Clarice Blackburn wasn't available, but she is in, in a blink and you'll miss it flashback. Yeah. <laughs> is in Night of Dark Shadows. Yeah. And with her real hair color, because she had flaming red, red hair. She used to wear black wig for like every character she played on the show. Minerva, Abigail, Mrs. Johnson now had the, the black wig. She had like red hair. But yeah, she, she was really great. Um, and some of the other characters who had already been established do go through some changes, as we pointed out, David Collins. And I think, like you said, I think that was a really great insight where child endangerment is a really great way to get the audience on the side of, of the kid. <laughs> you know, like if you're, if you're, yeah. if the mother is coming back and wants to murder her own child, you know, it's like, can't help but root for the, for the kid there. <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's like your mother's a monster who wants to burn you in, in, in the fire. And that's what, where that storyline culminates. And I think that's a really pivotal moment because David, from a long time really made life hell for Vicky. And then when she first saw a ghost, she saw, she, she saw a ghost, Bill Malloy. And he was like, Oh, you saw a ghost. Oh, okay. I guess you're, you're, we can be friends, yeah. then, you know, cause you saw. Welcome you, to the club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 You're cool. You're, you're, you're one of us now, you know? So he, uh, he softens towards Vicky and then there's that, uh, showdown, you know, kind of between Vicky and Laura as the fishing shack. She lures did Laura, lures David to the fishing shack and it's on fire. And Vicky is pleading with David to leave, to not go with his mother. And Laura is having David recite that monologue about the Phoenix, you know, to, it's sort yeah. of, it, it's a great monologue. And that's part of, I think what Diana Malay always sa says that that's what got her or said she passed away sadly very recently, which I was really heartbroken to, to hear about that. Um, but she loved that monologue about the Phoenix and she had David recite it, you know, and in, in an effort to lure him to his doom. And um, Vicky is pleading with him to leave and, and Vicky gets through to him and he, he escapes uh, his fate and Laura goes up in flames, which was a huge deal for dark shadows you know like to to do something that on that scale with fire and, and yeah a practical a practical effect yeah definitely it was uh it was really really cool uh to, to see that uh you know and definitely very creepy and and disturbing to to watch that scene uh, what did you think of the finale of that storyline i really enjoyed it because you know i think as as a big Victoria fan, Vicky fan, you know, mm -hmm. you wanted David to come around to her mm -hmm. and, you know, it took something as drastic as going down in flames with your mother to get him there, but it got him there. And so I thought that it was a very purposeful ending mm -hmm. and it wasn't, you know, plus with the ghost of Josette helping out. And there's, there's this motif that we keep seeing with portraits being made and portraits yes. of 
and it starts off very early with the ghost of Josette, and then you have Laura's portrait, and then of course Barnabas's, and then later Quent. I think Quentin has a portrait done. Yeah, oh well. yeah, they, yeah, they do the picture of Dorian Gray. Yeah, they do the picture of Dorian Gray. It, yeah. it it's just interesting how it all ties together very early, and I thought it was a satisfying ending to that arc. And you know, Laura, I never saw Laura as downright evil i saw her as she's trying to survive yeah yep and so you couldn't hate her too much this is what she was this is what she was born as i agree i I, that's a very insightful comment like she's not necessarily malevolent it's just like this is what she is you know what she does what she her it is her instinct to do this you know i love angelique too but she definitely she yeah. has more i feel like angelique is more has more choice in the matter you know she's she's yeah you know she has more agency i guess whereas laura is on kind of like this is what i do this is how it is you know kind of thing right definitely uh i, I love in uh, 1897 you have uh, angelique versus laura which is pretty <laughs> awesome because angelique is vulnerable to fire as a witch but she has these yeah you know, powers. that's a good matchup yes absolutely so laura definitely sets the stage for Barnabas as well as the first sort of supernatural antagonist of the show. And I, I think this storyline, uh, most fans, I, a lot of a lot of people who watch the show start out with Barnabas. And in yeah. fact, these episodes, if you're watching this on like Tubi or something like that, they actually branded these pre-Barnabas episodes as Dark Shadows, the beginning. So you want to look for Dark Shadows, the beginning, because if you just put on Dark Shadows, you're going to just start with Barnabas these episodes precede Barnabas. And while the pre-Barnabas episodes do get a lot of mixed response from people, because they do tend to be slower uh, and there's yeah. a lot of repetition and of, of plot points where characters are talking to each other about, let's go over the facts kind of thing. You know, Now, I don't mind the slow, slow burn. I love those characters. So I'll watch them as much as I can, you know, but, yeah. but I think for just a general audience, those might be slower. But I think for sure, the Laura storyline is something that's well worth your time to watch because it's really eerie and fascinating and different. Something that's very different from the typical, like, you know, you're going to see vampires and werewolves and a Frankenstein and zombies and things like and witches and things yeah, like you that. Yeah, you can think of it as like a bonus. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> absolutely. Um, now, the last... I guess you would say normal storyline that Dark Shadows had as far as, I mean, as normal as Dark Shadows gets, which is not really that normal. Um, if you're talking about it, you know, a body buried in the basement of your mansion, you know, of your haunted mansion, but there's the last, I guess, sort of non-supernatural storyline, perhaps the major storyline is the blackmailing of Elizabeth Collins Stoddard by Jason McGuire, who is a new villain who comes into the show. He comes in just before Barnabas and the blackmail storyline runs concurrently with the Barnabas storyline. And I want to give a little time here to the Jason McGuire storyline because everybody talks about the Barnabas storyline because it's so iconic, you know? And so, uh, in fact, when the MPI tapes were released, they edited out a lot of the Jason McGuire storyline on the first four (laughs) tapes. They re-released them later, but I remember getting those tapes and going, wait a minute, where's all the Jason stuff? So 
it is sort of, uh, you know, we have this character, Jason McGuire, who has a very pronounced Irish brogue who comes <laughs> into the show and he's he's very charming. I think somebody calls him the smiling snake at one point, which <laughs> I love that line because he comes in and he has some hold over Elizabeth who has not left the house in 18 years. And we don't know the exact reason for this, but we get some hints, you know, there's always this crying coming from the basement, which we hear very early on. Vicky hears this sobbing coming from the basement. Is it a ghost? What is it? Uh, it's Elizabeth going down into the basement and crying, we find out later. But Jason has some hold over Elizabeth and he starts blackmailing her. Uh, he moves into the house where everybody kind of starts to see through this, you know, charming veneer and sees that he's, he is a con man. He's a con artist and he has some, he is blackmailing Elizabeth, but they don't know why they don't know the exact reason. Uh, and Elizabeth, poor Elizabeth, you know, she doesn't really, she can't really do anything about it because she doesn't want anyone to find out this horrible secret because everybody right. in the show has secrets. Everybody that's right. <laughs> thing in the show. Everybody has a terrible secret. And Elizabeth's terrible secret is, of course, buried in the basement of Collinwood. So she believes. So Jason comes in. And of course, Jason is going to then bring in Willie Loomis as well, his pal Willie, who, of course, we know will release Barnabas from, from the coffin. So thoughts on the Jason McGuire storyline or the Jason character? What, what are your thoughts on, on that? So it was so interesting to me because the first time when I watched Dark Shadows as a child, my first introduction to Dennis Patrick was as Paul Stoddard. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so when I went back and watched from the beginning, I was like, this is really cool. He's Jason McGuire, Paul's friend. Yeah. <laughs> and his sort of partner in crime. And I thought that was such an interesting connection that I, you know, again, if you don't watch those early episodes, you're not going to make that connection. Mm. And as a child, I don't know how it was for you, but as when I watched it for the first time as a kid, I related to the kids on the show. You know, I was yeah, interested. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, Elizabeth's the mother. You know, she's an adult. I'm not that interested in her. Um, but then watching it back, it's like, no, Elizabeth is layered and flawed and yeah. compassionate. And she's one of the most, I think, layered characters and subtly, subtly layered. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the whole thing, of course, with, you know, whether or not she's Vicky's mother, you know, she shows such compassion towards David and she puts up with a lot with Jason to keep what she thinks is her secret safe. It, it, it definitely takes a toll on her, you know, to the point where I believe he like blackmails her into getting married and, and keeping yeah. him in the house. You know, what would you do if, if the semi-stranger walks into your life and suddenly takes over your life? Yeah. It, it was a lot for Elizabeth to deal with. And I like how she handles the situation by the end of the storyline. She takes the agency and she takes control and kind of says no more to Jason McGuire. And then there's, of course, the first Willie Loomis, who's not John Carlin. <laughs> yes, James Hall played uh, the first for, for about five episodes yeah, um, before I John was, Carlin came on. Yeah, <laughs> I was not expecting that. And, you know, if there was no Jason McGuire, there may not be a Barnabas. So mm -hmm. <laughs> whether you like or hate Jason McGuire, he's important to the show. Do you like or hate Jason McGuire? Or do you like to hate Jason McGuire? I like to hate him. 
he's he is it's an awful is, person, but he's so much fun to watch. About the accent, he's he's <laughs> he he's he's slightly charming. He's, yeah, it's like if you if you have an Irish brogue, you're instantly charming. It's like you can be as much of a jerk as you want, but you're you're instantly charming. No, I agree, and I think a lot of that just is Dennis Patrick's performance. You see, you yeah. lo- he's a love to hate that character yeah. kind of thing because he's an awful person but you know he does it with with that panache that he that he has just sure. yeah yeah and so uh we find out uh you know that this whole blackmail storyline culminates when finally uh they're going to be married and carolyn just can't take it anymore and carolyn uh you know she starts dating buzz hackett <laughs> right a big cult favorite in the, yeah. in the fan base, this biker dude who's uh, totally the opposite of anything that you see on Dark Shadows. He's like, comes in and he's like, yeah, baby, you know, like, really. Yeah, he's like of the time where I think all the other characters could be in any time period, you know? Sure, yeah, there's yeah, there's a definitely a timeless quality to to the other characters. But, 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 but it feels 1960s. He and Carolyn, you know, she's trying to, she's kind of trying to get her mother to talk because her mother is closed off to to telling anyone about what this secret is and what this hold is. So Carolyn is just really trying to say, well, if you're not going to tell me, I'm going to act out in this way and do these things as as a reaction to this. And finally, Carolyn, she's going to shoot uh, Jason McGuire. She's going to kill him uh, during, during when this wedding is, is about to happen. And finally, Elizabeth says she killed Paul Stoddard, that he was, Paul Stoddard was going to take the money, Carolyn's money, I believe, you know, he, he was going to run off. Paul Stoddard was an awful person back then. When we meet Paul Stoddard later, he's remorseful about it, but you find out what he did was even worse than, than stealing the money from Colin, whether like he's, you know, offered the Leviathans his most valuable <laughs> possession too, which turns, of course, you know, who guess what that is, you know, it's like, which is kind of messed up that they refer to Carolyn as a possession, but that's weird. Um, but yeah, so Paul was ostensibly killed and Jason showed up when this happened and offered to help Elizabeth. Told her, you know, I'm going to take care of it. And he buried, says he buried Paul in the basement, the body in the basement, and he takes the money. Elizabeth gives him money never, and tells him never to come back. And uh, But he does. And then it turns out they go down into the basement. He has to admit it was all sham uh, that him and Paul pull, pulled a scam on Elizabeth and he wasn't dead. He was just knocked out from the fireplace poker and Paul took off. Jason took the money, split it with Paul. And then Paul and uh, Jason took off. And I think we find out later they he lost track of him in Hong Kong somewhere or something like that. So <laughs> they took off. Uh, and so the trunk that's buried in the basement is empty. And Elizabeth hasn't left the house for 18 years for no reason at all. <laughs> And she thinks she's living in a house with her dead husband. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's you really feel for her. Yeah. Yeah. And she's she's guilt ridden. Like she can't leave the house. She thinks she committed murder. Like she's not a murderer. Elizabeth, like you pointed out, she's she has a she has a heart. You know, she has a she's a good person. You know, she's you know, she has her flaws, but cares about her family and uh, is not a murderer by any means. So uh, she has to live with this guilt and won't leave the house. She created a prison out of Collinwood for herself. Uh, yeah, and- I'm thinking of um, in House of Dark Shadows, Elizabeth sort of shuts down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I feel like if there's one character that we see their mental state being really affected, it's, it's Elizabeth, whether it's, yeah. you know, not leaving the house or, you know, she goes into that coma, you know, her mental state is not well. 
Right, right. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, she's she goes through a lot. Her and she's going to go through a lot more too when Cassandra shows up as well. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Elizabeth uh, and Joan Bennett was fan, just fantastic. I mean, she was such a you know. It's amazing that they had a movie star of that caliber on the show. Uh, have you ever watched uh, Scarlet Scarlet Street? No, I did oh. see her version of Little Women and, oh. and I enjoyed it. I have to, I haven't watched Little Women and I, that's one on my list that I need to get around to uh, for sure. Yeah, Catherine Hepburn is a great job. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I need to, I really need to watch that. I, uh, I have watched Scarlet Street and she was, she was great in that. Uh, but she, she just had a, definitely a presence about her in, in the show, uh, for sure, you know, as the matriarch of Collinwood, but she was a very strong character, but also very caring for her family and protective of her family and of the, just the Collins family name too. She was just a great character. And then you're just like, there's a relief, you know, you feel when, uh, and then you feel that kind of weight lifted from, from Elizabeth's shoulders at that point too. When they did the 91 series, they had uh, Gene Simmons played Elizabeth, which I thought was a very good choice for Elizabeth as well. Uh, but you just you just didn't get as much. I think by then, by the time they did, and this is the thing with the remakes, like Barnabas came on and became this huge hit, right? So all of the human characters, the mortal characters, yeah, kind of- they take a backseat. Yeah. They become victims basically in, in the show, yeah. you know, they're still in the show, but all the, all the, you know, monsters basically take the, take the lead in the show or people, you know, right. the, the vampires and the mad scientists and the werewolves and the witches all kind of, they take the lead on the show, which is crazy because these care, a lot of these care, they're all Barnabas is a murderer. He's a vampire. He kills many yeah. people. Even when, you know, there's this debate is Barnabas good or bad. It's like Barnabas was never really good. He was, kind of an he became an anti-hero i think and even angelique to, to some point i think becomes an anti-hero and quentin as well these all characters all start out as these as villains they just become like yeah less bad because worse things happen you know uh yeah the human characters kind of get put on the back burner like you said which is kind of sad you know a little bit i'm glad they yeah and eventually even vicky who's pretty much the main character mm -hmm. you know she's after 1795 she's not there anymore Vicky gets uh, starts out as the protagonist of the series, and then Barnabas becomes the protagonist of the series, and Vicky yeah. gets quite a shift. <laughs> fades away, you know. And Alexandra Moltke was pregnant in 1968, which we forgot to mention. Also, Diana Malay was pregnant when she was playing Laura Collins as well. Uh, oh wow! She, she didn't tell them at first when she got hired, and then um, when she began to show, you know, she she told them she was pregnant. And they actually had to, I believe, had to cut the storyline short because of because she had to leave the show uh because of that but they the the costumer put her in like costumes that hid hid the fact that she was uh pregnant but right. yeah she was and then alexandra moltke became pregnant during the 1968 storyline uh and she always she it's a she jokes about it but she says uh you know oh well rosemary's baby came out at around that time and i was a little worried that <laughs> <laughs> Dad, Dad was going to do that. Uh, but I think, you know, she was ready to kind of move on from the show. And she wanted to play, I think she really wanted to play uh, a darker character, like a villain or a monster and, and things. And she got kind of, she got kind of tired of playing Vicky because they kept trying to bring her back on the show. Uh, Dan Curtis wanted her to come back, I think, during the Leviathans. Uh, in fact, there's some Vicky story material that happens during the Leviathans, uh, but she doesn't come back. To, to the show at that point. They, they mention her even up until very close to the end, even during like the 1840 storyline, her name still comes up throughout periodically throughout the series. They will reference Victoria Winters, but she sadly, she never returns to the, to the series. Uh, so she's a favorite of yours? 
Yeah, my aunt, who I said introduced me to Dark Shadows, she often calls me Victoria. Oh, I could see that. Definitely. You have the, like, the long, dark hair like her. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, that's so cool. You should go as her for Halloween one year. I, you know, I went as Carolyn from House of Dark Shadows <gasps> one year for Halloween. That's and nobody, awesome. knew, nobody knew who I was. And I had, uh, my, I had, my, had my other aunt, Donna, make me a costume and... <laughs> Oh, I would have known. I would have known. You should have come trick-or-treating at our house. I would have been like, oh, you're Carolyn. Uh, that's I'm awesome. Like, Nobody, nobody's going to know who I am, but that's okay. I, I, I know who I am. It's a very niche costume. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, I remember when I first met your sister, Melissa, in college, and she was wearing like a long black cloak. And uh, it was in the in the theater. It was like a, in the auditorium at UMass Dartmouth. And I said, I was like, oh, hey, Melissa, that coat looks like a Barnabas coat. And she's like, <laughs> and then she's like, oh, look. And she like picks up her purse or her backpack. And she had a button, a Barnabas button on yep. her backpack. I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Instant, instant friendship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, awesome. So do you have any closing thoughts on either the Laura storyline or the uh, Jason McGuire blackmail storyline? I would just say if anybody who's listening to this and hasn't seen the beginnings of Dark Shadows, it is worth it just to get to know some of the characters better, to get the context. Like I said, consider it a bonus episode bundle. It's really worth it. And there's some great performances and some really innovative stuff going on even then. And it's really cool to watch the show progress from just a gothic tale with mentions of ghosts to you know finally to Barnabas you know so I would say watch it it's worth it it's on Tubi it's free I believe on Tubi yeah free with commercials yeah yeah free with commercials watch it because it is definitely worth the while I absolutely agree with you, Rachel. It sounds like an ad, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's earnest. There's no, nobody's paying us to say it. Go watch it. Tubi's not paying me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show with me. It was great to, to chat with you. And uh, I hope we get to see each other soon. Uh, this past year has been like really rough with, uh, with the pandemic and everything, but yeah. hopefully we can hang out sometime soon for sure. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Take care, Rachel. Thank you. All right. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for listening to Terror at Collinwood. Feel free to drop me an email at terror at Collinwood at gmail.com. I'll probably have an email episode coming up where I'll read your emails. And uh, until next time, remember, Dark Shadows is a Dan Curtis production. I need a better ending, Rachel. (laughs) Do you have any thoughts? Good closing line Um... for the show. I have to, maybe that can be a contest, right? Ooh, yeah. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Send me your suggestion for a closing line to the Terror at Collinwood podcast, and you will win something. I don't know what it is yet, but I will send you (laughs) something cool in the mail. By the way, just a quick additional note, Terror at Collinwood is now on most podcast streaming apps, including Apple Podcasts. So if you listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, I would really appreciate it if you would give us a rating and a review. Uh, This will help the show appear more frequently in searches for Dark Shadows podcasts. So get 
get the show in front of the eyes and ears of more people for sure. The algorithms will help it come up more often in searches. So if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. And Terror at Collinwood can also be found on Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, and lots of other podcast streaming services, which is really groovy. I love that the show has been picked up by so many of these podcatchers. So if you have a podcast streaming app that you like to listen to and Terror at Collinwood isn't on that one, let me know. I'll see if I can get it added. Uh, I know that it's been picked up by quite a few of these uh, podcast streaming apps, and I've added it to quite a few of them. So it's definitely out there. We're also on YouTube. Uh, If you check out the Terror at Collinwood YouTube channel, I put each episode on there as well. You can leave comments there too. And if you have any questions that you'd like me to address on the air about plot lines or characters, feel free to drop me an email at terror at at gmail.com. I definitely plan to do a listener email episode down the road. So if there are any questions you'd like me to address on the podcast, feel free to drop me a line, terror at Collinwood at gmail.com. Also, there is a website for the podcast, terror at Collinwood.com. There's some fun stuff on there. I'm going to be adding a blog section down the road. I have some ideas for blog posts I want to make. And you can also check out my horror host website, shillingshockers.com. That's S-H-I-L-L-I-N-G, shillingshockers.com. And you can find out all about the horror movie host show that I did for 10 years as Penny Dreadful. So without further ado, have a excellent evening. (laughs) 